in Christ boils down to you being obedient to the things that Jesus has. So when the Bible says things like you should love one another, the spirit of God within us says you should love people. When the Bible says you should love your enemies, when you are growing in Christ, eventually you start to what? Love the people you think are your enemies. Jesus left his disciples with a promise. He said that a helper would be sent another term for the Holy Spirit. And as Pastor Daniel will share today, that promise has been fulfilled. The Holy Spirit is available right now to everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit truly is a helper. He guides your steps and your words, but He never forces you to obey. You need to choose if you'll heed the directions of your God-given helper. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in John chapter 14 as he begins his message, The Promise. So everybody loves a good promise, right? Like when somebody promises something to you, it creates this longing, this expectation. You know that something's going to happen. But not only does it create a longing and an expectation, It also gives us something to wait for. Now, am I the only person in the room who doesn't wait so well? (laughs) Okay, there's a few of you. You pray for me, I'm praying for you. We're all in this together, learning how to wait for things. But when you start thinking about promises as well, the waiting part is also hard because unfortunately we've all had those experiences where people aren't faithful to the promises that they make, right? Like there is this part of when you hear a promise where you're like, You know, is that really going to happen? I mean, everyone says what they're going to say, and then do you really follow through? And unfortunately, we live in a fallen world where people are flawed. All of us are, except for Jesus himself. And so what ends up happening, of course, is that we get so used to people not fulfilling their promises that we begin to think that God isn't faithful, right? And, And we begin to walk through this world as if God isn't a faithful God, that God, as if God doesn't fulfill the promises that he makes. Now, obviously, you know what I have to say now, because it's totally true, is that God is always faithful. When everyone else is faithless, God is still going to be faithful to his promise. Now, when I think about maybe, maybe the most common or, um, one of the most beautiful examples of a promise, of course, is an engagement ring, Right? Like, I remember when uh, Lynn and I, my bride, got engaged, and it was so beautiful. It was so much fun. You know, there was so much excitement to it. But I remember on that day in Bidwell Park in uh, Chico, California, where Lynn was finishing up school, and I remember when I got on one knee and I asked her if she'd be my bride, and she said yes, and I got to put that ring on her finger. You know, but that ring is a promise. You know, it was, it was a ring that promised that said, one day in the future, Lynn, you and I, we're going to stand before God, and we're going to stand before our, our loved ones and family members, and we're going to make a covenant to, to commit our lives to one another. And then sure enough, on the day that we got married, a, a bunch of months later, we got married in Yosemite National Park in that little chapel at the valley floor. And on that day, we made another set of promises. 
See, I fulfilled the, the promise of the engagement ring that I was going to marry here, but then we made a promise that we were going to be together no matter what for good times and in bad times, right? In richer times and in poorer times, in times when we're super healthy and times when we're super sick, right? And you, and you make these promises. Now, unfortunately, as we talk about this, I realize that, that those promises are easy to make, but they're actually not always easy to follow through with. You know, like when, when Lynn and I decided we were going to get married, she didn't realize what she was signing up for, that poor girl. That's why I got that ring on her finger so fast. You know, it was like from yes to marriage was like, I better get this done before she realizes what she's getting into. Because my mama didn't raise no dummy. You know, I was smart about it, you know. But the thing is, is that it is a promise. Now, I bring up the idea of the engagement ring as a promise because that actually also comes from your Bible as well. Because according to Ephesians chapter one, the very presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is a down payment, is an engagement ring from Jesus that he promises to fulfill the things that he's promised in our lives. So as we're doing this series that we're calling Life Hack, because God has given us one hack for life, and that is the Holy Spirit. As we're exploring the person and work of who he is, we have to realize that our very ability to be in the spirit, as we talked about Jesus being led by the spirit and being filled with the spirit, being anointed by the spirit, you know, Jesus walking in the power of the spirit, all of that is a reminder that our experience as believers of being in the spirit is God's promise to us. And so we're going to be exploring how Jesus talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit to his disciples in John's gospel. So open up your Bibles. We're going to start today in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18. Then we're also going to be turning to John 16, which will be the next page over in most of your Bibles. So, you know, as we started this series, I did want to give uh, just a, a little insight because I realize that we live in a cerebral culture and, and God's given us minds and God does not want us to check our brains at the door. But oftentimes, especially as we're talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, we have a tendency to get bogged down in our heads about like, well, where does, you know, being filled with the Spirit end and being led by the Spirit begin? And where does being in the power of the Spirit begin? And where does it end? And, and we get caught up in the minutia of it. And what I want to tell you is that, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it completely misses the point of why our Bibles were given. You know, our Bibles weren't given just to give us things that we can play chess with in the Bible. The Bible is given to help show us and frame what our lives are meant to look like. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't kind of plumb into the nuances of things, but in the plumbing into the nuances of things, don't miss that really just God wants to say, Lord, will you fill me with your spirit? Lord, I want to walk in the power of your spirit. Lord, can I have the anointing for the work you've called me to? And oftentimes we allow the, our intellectual pursuits to obscure the simple reality that this is something that we're supposed to be experiencing every day. Does that make sense? Because last week I had a number of people talk to me about, hey, how does this thing work and this thing? And, and, it was, and it was all very deep. I'm like, well, pretty much for me, I don't know where one thing starts and the other thing ends. I don't think that God is concerned about making these, put everything in this nice little box with its bow. The Bible doesn't tell us everything about everything. It tells us everything we need for life and godliness. So the things that God is not as specific on as we'd want him to be, we trust in his goodness because he didn't need to be that specific. We didn't need it for life and godliness. Sometimes I wish he would have put it in there. Don't mark, miss my words. I wish he would have put it in there, but he knows what I need and he knows in the things he doesn't explain, we can trust him. Does that make sense? Okay, so with that, look at what it says. 
John chapter 14, picking up in verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. So what we learn in these two verses is really simple. The spirit is our helper. The spirit is our helper. And that's simply a very powerful idea, isn't it? Because in the Greek language, that word helper is the word parakletos, which some of your translations have the word comforter, or some of your words have the word counselor. It literally means somebody who is summoned to a person's aid. That's what the word means. You know, para means alongside and kletos, someone who comes alongside in, not in the Bible, but in the Koine Greek and other books and things that were written. That word parakletos is used for things like a legal aid, somebody who is an intercessor or a mediator. It's used for somebody who is a nurse. There's a lot of different concepts that come in here to this idea that the spirit is our helper. But really what we learn here is that God knows that all of us have needs. I'm going to ask you a question here today. But I realize it's Sunday morning and you probably didn't work out yet. So everyone just shake, shake out your hands a little bit. Shake it out. Go ahead. Not only you guys in the front. Okay, all of you. Go ahead. You can do it. A little more. There you go. A little. Okay, go side to side. Don't hit the person next to you. It's church. There you go. Is everyone ready? Because I don't want anyone to pull a muscle here at church today. Okay? Now I want you to raise your hand. Simple question. How many of you think you need a little help in life? Now guess what? What I just read tells you you already have the help that you need. You already have the help that you need. Because Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to send the Spirit. Now, for the disciples, it was yet future. But for us, it's already happened. So when you say to yourself, I need help, you need to realize right now, God has already given you the help that you need. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need other help as well. Right? Like, sure, it's like if, you know, you have kids and they need to be in three places and there's two cars. Yeah, you need some help to do that, you know? But the reality is, is that everything you need, you already have in the Spirit. Jesus hasn't left us without. Now, what I think is also very powerful is we jumped right into these verses. And verse 16 says, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper. Now, notice that word, it says another helper. Now, Really what he's saying is that it's not a completely different helper. It's another helper just the way he is. So in the midst of looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, we have to always remember that there's one God and that one God interacts with humanity in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. But there's more overlap than there is division in the way that they function. They work together to fulfill the mission. And just as Jesus, as Savior, is a great helper, he's saying, I'm going to give you another helper, another of the same kind, like me, the Spirit of God. And he's going to abide with you forever. But what do we need help with? Look at verse 15. Just one verse. I didn't skip it on purpose. I did, because I want to talk about it now. It says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Now... Okay, for the person who is a disciple of Jesus, that's the word that the Bible uses, somebody who is learning from Jesus, somebody who is following Jesus, the key to discipleship is obedience, right? When somebody is growing as a disciple of Jesus, then you become more obedient to Jesus. Now, can we just be honest? Nowhere in fallen humanity does obedience come naturally. Can I get an amen? amen? Like my kids, I love my kids. Are my kids always obedient? 
What do you think? <laughs> Definitely not, right? Now, I, I could get upset with them, but then I also realize that if you were to ask my parents if I was an obedient child, what do you think their answer would be? No. Now, the only thing that helps me is I know you guys are rebels too, right? So obedience doesn't come naturally in a fallen world because at the root the problem with the fallenness is the self-centeredness, which is I want my way the way that I want it. So if Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He's saying that if you love me, you're going to want to be obedient to the things that I have. But guess what? If we all look at our lives, aren't there areas of disobedience? Absolutely. And if you don't think there is in your life, just ask your spouse or your best friend. Because they'll explain it all to you. They'll be like, oh, no, this is. but here's the thing. God knows that left up to our own devices, we will never be obedient. And God knows that we will never truly love him without the presence of the Holy Spirit who is our helper because we love God because he first loved us. And so we respond to God's love with love. That's because of the helper, the Holy Spirit. And our desire to be obedient is also not derived from ourselves. It's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So God invites us into a life that he intends to empower us for. And how powerful is that? Do you realize that you growing in Christ boils down to you being obedient to the things that Jesus has? So when the Bible says things like you should love one another, the spirit of God within us says you should love people. When the Bible says you should love your enemies, when you are growing in Christ, eventually you start to what? Love the people you think are your enemies. When you're a disciple of Jesus and you're growing in the things of God, when it says that you should bless those people who curse you, then when people say gnarly things about you, you choose to not return gnarly words back because the helper within you is cultivating an obedience to the things of Jesus. When the Apostle Paul says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And every time I read that, I start chuckling. Right? Because I'm like, I want that. But as I grow in Christ's likeness, God has given us his spirit, the helper, to help us to be obedient to the very things that God has for us. And we don't do obedience so that God saves us. We do obedience because we are saved and the spirit of God is cultivating obedience in our hearts. So you begin to realize that what Jesus is promising his disciples is an ever-present help in every situation to lead us into obedience. And guess what? There's no other way to grow in Christ than here. You have to realize that growing in Christ involves us being different than we've been in the past. I always like to remind people, we live in a day and age where everybody wants the newness, but nobody wants to be changed. Everybody wants their life to be different, but nobody wants to do anything different. Everyone wants, I want to do it my way, but I want God's blessing upon it. And that might be a desire of your heart, but the Bible says that the abundant life is on the other side of obedience. And God has given us his spirit to lead us into that obedience, to promote the love of God in our hearts, which leads to a desire to walk in the things that God has. That's why Jesus said, John 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. See, in those verses, we realize that the helper comes. He's sent from the Father. He proceeds from the Father, and he testifies of Jesus. 
John 15, 26. Now, from there, look at what happens next. Because in verse 17, we begin to learn more things in John chapter 14. It says, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And what we learn here is that the spirit of truth dwells in you. These verses are powerful because now we hear that the spirit, the helper, is the spirit of truth. And this spirit of truth dwells in us. Now, why it's important that we hear that Jesus is the truth is because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Remember I told you, although God interacts with humanity, this one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, just as the Father is the truth, Jesus is the truth, guess what? The Spirit is the truth, right? And the Spirit of truth, it says, is unique to the follower of Jesus. Notice, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now, this is what makes the person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus different from the person who has not. And I realize here at Crossroads, there are people on every different step of their faith journey. There are people, some of you here have been walking with Jesus for longer than I've been alive, right? Some For some of you, twice as long as I've been alive. So there's a long journey. And then there's others of you who are here today, like, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. Here's the deal. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus or if you're not walking with Jesus, you have to realize that the distinction between the believer and the non-believer is the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Now, what's interesting is it says, whom the world cannot, what's the word? Receive. So here's what you have to realize. For every single living human being, the Spirit of God is at work on the outside, working to draw us to the things of God. But for the believer, we receive him and then he dwells within our hearts. Now, some of you might be saying, well, I don't like that. That is not, I mean, why only for the believer? The reason is, is that if you don't want to drive, insert your favorite car in there, if you don't buy that car, you're not going to drive that car. It's really that simple, right? It's like, like if you're like, no, I just love a Volkswagen bus. And all I've ever wanted to drive is a Volkswagen bus. But if you go out and you go buy yourself an Audi, are you driving a Volkswagen bus? No, why? Because you didn't buy a bus. You bought an Audi. And guess what? If you want the Holy Spirit not to work on you from the outside, but to indwell your heart and work on you from the inside, you need to receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's indwelling presence is a gift that he gives for believing in Jesus. Does that make sense? So it's a uniqueness of what happens when a person is in Christ. Now, here's what I want to tell you today. If you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, you should. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, guess what's going to happen? The Spirit of God is going to dwell in you. Not working at you on the outside. See, really the Spirit of God works at you from the outside so that he can get on the inside. That he can indwell us. But once a person says yes to Jesus, he indwells us. He is on the inside working in and through us to do all these different things. And of course, Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit, but only if the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
If you do not have the Spirit, you're not Christ. So in the same way, we talked about the engagement ring. The only person who was engaged to be my bride was the woman who was wearing the ring. In the same way, the only way you are part of the family of God is if the Holy Spirit dwells within you. He wants to take up his rightful place. And what's amazing is Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you. And he's saying, listen, even though, and we're going to get to this in a second, I'm going away. He's like, the presence of my spirit will be me being with you. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Now, here's the question then for us, each one of us. And it's kind of a simple question, but it is powerful for each one of us. If the spirit of God dwells in us, if we're a believer, then are we aware of his presence everywhere that we are? You realize like, you don't have to invite the Holy Spirit to come because if you're a believer, he already there. Right? And so really what happens is, is in our lives as believers, what starts to go on is you begin to realize that because I believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells within me, and now my growth curve is not me doing what I want to do, but me saying, Lord, what would you have me do? See, a truly Spirit-filled life is not someone who has a verse for every situation, although we love Bible verses. And it's not someone who, well, what would you do? And they say, well, I'll do this, this, and this. A truly spirit-filled life is a person who stops and says, Lord, what are you doing right now? And what would you have me say? A person who realizes that our advice is not what anybody needs, but Jesus is what people need. That our job is to realize that what God is doing in anyone's life has unique nuances. And unless we are aware of the Spirit's presence, we might just run off kind of half-cocked. And those of us who are more type A, you know this really, really well. Right? We just do your thing. Now, for those of you who aren't type A, you also realize that oftentimes the Spirit of God wants to use us, but we're so busy not engaging that we miss out on it as well. And so what God wants to do is for us to be perpetually aware that the Spirit of God is in us, with us at every moment. It was so beautiful as we began this Life Hack series. Between all the three services, we saw probably seven or 800 people come on forward to receive prayer, to be anointed with oil, to say, hey, I want to go deeper in the things of God. I want to know Jesus more. And at every service, I said to the folks who are up front, listen, this is not the end. This is the beginning. Because Really, the work of the Spirit happens when we are moving through this world. And we have this tendency to expect that the things of the Spirit happen when the church is gathered. No, we get equipped for the work of ministry when we're gathered. And then we scatter into a million different places in the name of Jesus. And then as we're aware of the Spirit in our life, the Helper, we're invited to not talk when we would normally say something, to talk when we would normally be quiet. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel talked today about the difference between what the world promises and what God has said. God is always faithful. You can find evidence of that in the Bible. But more than that, you can experience His fulfilled promises in your life. Pastor Daniel encouraged you today to accept Jesus as your Savior. Then you can experience all that has been promised to you as a child of God. 
One of those is the Holy Spirit who lives in you, guiding you with truth and love. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel talks about leaving specifically Jesus announcing to his disciples that he will be going away. But his departure wasn't permanent. It fulfilled all he had come to do, saving humanity. And his departure to heaven unleashed the ability to have the Holy Spirit in our lives forever. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 